Good morning again. My name is Matt. For those of you who I haven't met, uh, we are uh, continuing in our series through the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 1, verse 6. And uh, we're actually going to reread uh, one of the verses that we read last week. Uh, as a reminder, for those who were here last week, uh, in the opening verses of Colossians, Paul is expressing gratitude uh, for that church, for that group of people, and the fruit that they're bearing in the gospel. And uh, last Sunday, we sort of used those verses to uh, express the same prayer of gratitude for our friends and partners in the Philippines. Uh, and, and so we, we studied these verses last week, but as we were doing that, uh, there was one phrase in here that really caught my attention uh, right here in verse 6. Uh, and this will be our verse for the day. This is what it says. Colossians 1 verse 6. Uh, Paul says, In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just, it has been, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Uh, that will be the uh, focus of our time this morning, but first, uh, let's pray. Jesus, we uh, thank you for uh, just welcoming, welcoming us in uh, when we were your enemies, uh, when we had set our lives, our minds, our, our flesh, our, ourselves against you, uh, you died for us uh, to, to usher us into a place uh, of being sons and daughters, of being called uh, friends. Uh, of the living God. And, and I pray, Lord, that uh, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes this morning to uh, the profound nature of who you are, uh, of what you've done, of how you feel about us. Uh, Lord, we believe that's at the center, that, that when we understand that, then all of a sudden, uh, everything else falls into place. Our relationship to the law, our relationship to the sin, uh, broken human relationships and the possibility of reconciliation, uh, all of that comes into reach, comes into focus uh, when we uh, are, are soaked in, in an accurate understanding of your grace. Uh, and that can be really hard for us to grasp. So Lord, we pray uh, your help, uh, the, the help of the Holy Spirit uh, as we unpack a simple concept this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. At the center of the Christian faith, at the heart of our relationship to God, uh, there is grace. Uh, this royal announcement uh, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is a message of grace. And, and hence, at the center of our discipleship, uh, at the beating heart of our relationship with God, there is this invitation to truly understand God's grace, uh, the, the depth of it, the nature of it. Uh, and notice that for Paul, this is not a peripheral issue. Uh, he's already mentioned grace at the beginning of his letter to sort of frame up what follows. He's now talking about it in the body uh, of his letter, and, and it saturates uh, everything that Paul uh, talks about. Uh, and yet, there is a danger uh, that we won't truly understand God's grace, that we will uh, fall for something less than uh, God's grace, and uh, less than the, than the thrill uh, of the full grace of God. Uh, and, and when that happens, 
uh, then, then we can slip into unhealthy places in our faith. We can actually stop uh, bearing fruit for Jesus. In fact, uh, in these verses, Paul reminds the Colossians, hey, that's actually why you're bearing the fruit that you're bearing. This, this gospel is spreading all over the world. It's multiplying among you. It's bearing fruit in each one of you uh, because it's the gospel of grace, because you've truly understood God's grace. That was the starting point. That was the, that was the first domino that tipped. In, in fact, I would venture so far as to say that you could go uh, anywhere in the world today, in any denomination, uh, in, in any uh, sort of version or flavor of Christianity in any country in the world, and, and if you can find a place where, where the gospel is spreading rapidly, where multiplication is happening, where, where individuals within that movement are bearing fruit, I would put money on the fact that you will find a people who truly understand God's grace. The, the, the two of those things uh, are tied together. Uh, and yet, in many cases, if I'm speaking for myself, uh, I don't always uh, understand God's grace. In fact, when I first came to Jesus as a new Christian, uh, my freshman year of college, uh, I, I understood immediately uh, certain aspects of His grace, right? I knew that up to that point, uh, I had been an atheist, that I didn't have hope, uh, and it came into focus that, wow, I, I, am, I am not uh, saved. I do not have hope. Uh, I, I am destined for hell. I, I have no, no hope in and of myself. I was truly lost, uh, but then God came in His grace and, and He woke me up. Uh, he, uh, in His grace, uh, alerted me uh, to, to who He was, to what He was up to in the world. It was by grace uh, that I was invited into the family of God. God made it really clear to me, you were born into a biological family, but that's not the end of the story. I'm actually in inviting you, uh, adopting you into my family. Uh, and I knew in that moment that it wasn't based on anything that I had done. It wasn't about my merit. It wasn't about my good deeds. It wasn't about how well I had followed a moral code. But rather, it was based on the blood of Jesus. Uh, what he uh, had done and has done uh, for me and for you. Uh, through cross, burial, and resurrection. Uh, and to be honest, I was a bit confused uh, why it had so little to do with me, uh, but I was also thrilled that Jesus had accomplished everything for me and that I was being adopted in. Uh, and so I repented of my sin. I repented of my, of my old life uh, and my old um, paradigms and systems of belief that felt so logical and safe to me. And I accepted Jesus for who and what he claimed to be. I sort of abandoned everything else in response uh, to Jesus. What, what a thrilling moment uh, that was. A life-changing moment for me. This is the moment when we uh, move from death to life. By, by the grace of God. When we move from hopelessness to hope. Uh, when we come into the family of God through cross, burial, and resurrection. 
And most of us um, understood God's grace at the outset. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, uh, the overwhelming odds are that you understood some aspect of God's grace when you said yes to Jesus, when, when you came to understand uh, who he claimed to be, what he had done uh, for you. Uh, and, and so I've, I've never heard of someone saying um, that, that, that they came to Jesus through a set of rules. Right? Like, I've never heard of someone saying, oh yeah, like my friend told me, if I follow this law really, really carefully, and I do it long enough, then God will eventually accept me through Jesus. Uh, I've, I've never heard that version of the gospel. I'm sure it's out there. Uh, maybe some of you have encountered that. But for the most part, those of us who have accepted Jesus have come through the way of grace. But for me, and for many others, uh, our struggle with God's grace actually sets in after we've accepted Jesus. Uh, we reach this moment where the adoption ceremony is over, and, and we, we settle in and we say, what's next? Like, I, I, I'm part of the family of God. God chose me at, out, of a, out of a spiritual orphanage. And, and adopted me in. I couldn't have forced myself into the family. I, I couldn't have, have, have made myself be adopted. It wasn't about my merit or standing. I, was, I wasn't the best orphan in the orphanage, right? It, but but he, he chose me by grace. It was what was in his heart that, that drove him toward that. He chose me. He brought me home. He welcomed me into the family. Uh, and now I'm settling into this new family, and, and I want to know what the expectations are, right? The ceremony's over. I've come home. I'm part of a new family. What are the rules of the family? Uh, how am I supposed to live uh, as a, a child of this new household under a new father? Uh, and I think this is actually where, where uh, most of us, many of us, go wrong. Uh, we, we get started in the grace of God. Uh, we come in through the grace of God, uh, but then we aren't quite sure what to do next. And, and we're reading through the Bible. Bless you. Uh, maybe we're doing a Bible in a year, something like that. We're you know, familiarizing ourselves with all of Scripture. We're encountering stuff uh, from the Old Testament and the law, and we say, well, well maybe that's it. I, I've been adopted into the family of the Israelites. The people of God existed you know, long before Jesus. He's a fulfillment of that hope. And, and now I'm, by grace, I, I'm, I'm grafted in. I'm, I'm, I'm adopted into the family of the Israelites. The adoption was all by grace, but now I ought to live by the family rules. Under the law, under the Mosaic covenant formed at Mount Sinai, I am a Gentile, adopted into the old covenant family of God. And, and so I'll, uh, I'll fall in line, I'll follow the law. Uh, and this view was actually quite common in the first century. Overwhelmingly among the Jews who said there's this new strange sect of Judaism that's arising. They're all about Jesus, but that's the door to come in to, to the old covenant family. And it was actually the view of many Christians as well. Even Gentile Christians were confused by this. Uh, and so this view says, it's by grace that I'm adopted in to the uh, Old Testament, old, old family under the old family rules. 
uh, that, that's one uh, view, that's one mistake that we can make. Uh, and then there's a more uh, hybrid view uh, that says, hey, I'm not Old Covenant, I'm New Covenant, but the law still stands. And there's a subtle difference there. It says instead of me being adopted in through grace and sort of sucked into the old covenant, I'm in a new covenant and it's based on the blood of Jesus, but I'm going to reach back and I'm going to take the law. I'm going to suck the law out of the old covenant and I'm going to bring that into the new covenant. And so we're, we're adopted into the family of Abraham uh, by grace through faith. And now we've got the Holy Spirit, Right? to help us labor under the law. Like we, we can do much better under the law now because of what Jesus has done, because we have the Holy Spirit working in each one of us. Uh, they didn't have that under the old covenant. And, and so this view sort of says, hey, welcome. You're part of a new family. Uh, you, you are a new creation. You have a new spirit at work within you. But make sure you play by the family rules. Like the Spirit is there essentially to, to help you obey the law that the Israelites didn't have the strength to obey. And oh, by the way, watch out for Dad. Right? He's, he's really grumpy. And, and he had to give his only son like just to adopt you out of the orphanage. Okay, so now that you're here, now that you're part of the family, like tighten up your belt. Straighten everything out. Just, just don't mess up now that you're in the family. Like you, you should know better now. You're not an orphan anymore. You're part of the family. Act, act like it. And a lot of us uh, accept this way of thinking. We think, wow, that, that's, that's true, isn't it? Like he, he really did die on a cross j- just to, to break the power of my past life, to put my old self to death to forgive and, and, and cover over and to pay for everything in my past life. Uh, now I'm in the family. I, I ought to know better. I, 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 ought, I, I ought not to sin anymore. I, I'm in the new family, and, and that comes with new pressures and new expectations. Now I've been woken up. Now my heavenly Father expects much more of me. There's, there's no more grace there's a little bit of forgiveness, but it's sort of reluctant forgiveness. It's grumpy forgiveness. So I'll just try really hard not to make a mistake. Our conception of the Christian life becomes that, hey, it's just me. I've got a forgiven past. I've got a new last name. I've been adopted in, and now it's just kind of me versus sin. And, and I'm just kind of slugging it out. I'm doing my best, trying really hard uh, to keep it together and not screw it up, lest I have to ask the forgiveness of a grumpy God. Our model uh, can become the woman caught in adultery, right? Like we, we, we had this life uh, of sin. And, and it got to this place where things came to a head. And wow, I, I, I deserve to, to die for the life of sin that I, that I led. But in that moment, Jesus intervenes. 
and, and he puts himself on the line, he puts himself out there, and he rescues us. He saves us from death, like he did the woman in adultery. He, he gives us a fresh start. And then what's he say to her? Now go and sin no more. And we think, ooh, whoa. Is that the new standard? Uh, is that what my new life is now? Is that how I'm to live? He'll forgive murder in my past life, but that was my past. Now I know better. Now I'm in God's family. Now I should sin no more. And without recognizing it, uh, we, we can receive grace upon adoption and, and then depart from God's grace upon entering the family. No sooner do we enter, we just say, ah, I, no, there's no more grace for me now. We say to ourselves, I'm part of the family of God. I, I ought not to sin. I, I ought to follow the law. I ought to be holy. But, but that's not grace. Uh, that, that doesn't bear fruit, Paul says. And, and, and you're part of the family. You're a new creation. You are adopted in. You do ha have a new last name. You have, you have hope and a future. And, Paul says, you are made holy in the present. Present tense, ongoing, right now, in and through Jesus. You continue to stand in His grace. It's not just the door that you enter in through. It, it's, it's the very ground on which you stand. You continue to be the object of His affection because of what He's done through cross, burial, and resurrection. You are now in Christ. You, you, you are immersed in Him. You, you, you are soaked in Him. You are indistinguishable from Him. Paul says, as a result, you're already holy. You, you are already holy in Christ. You are co-heirs with Him. And, and this actually changes the way we think about sin and the law. It changes our relationship to those things. You're already holy in Christ, Paul says, right now as you're sitting here this morning, and, and as a result of that, as we kind of wake up to our standing that we have in God, as a result of that, it doesn't really make sense to just continue in sin. There's an incongruency there. But, but you shouldn't put the horse before the cart. You have to start by, by understanding the grace of God. It, it, it's not that you should be holy. You ought to be holy, therefore stop sinning. Paul says, no, 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 no. That, I, we've been doing that for thousands of years. That does not work. Instead, what's happened through, through the gospel of grace is that you are already holy. You are made holy by the blood of Jesus. It, it's, it's happened now. Now you're in that grace. As a result, it, sin doesn't really make sense. It, it doesn't make sense to continue on in that. Do you, you see the difference between the two mentalities? Romans 5 says it this way. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified, 
that's uh, made right with God, declared innocent, made perfect before Him. Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Not into the grace in which you passed through, into the grace in which you now stand. Right now, right here, this morning, you, you are standing in the presence of that grace. Grace is not just the door into an uptight family. It's, it's the destination. It's the landscape on which we now walk with Jesus. Secure as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the church. You've entered into a joy-filled family rooted in the grace of God, set free from the power of sin. It no longer has power over you. You're free in His grace. Why, why would I keep sinning? Like why, why would I just live there? That, that doesn't make sense. In fact, Paul poses that question in the next chapters. Romans 5, he says, you're standing in incredible grace. It's permanent. It's ongoing. It is the very landscape on which you walk. And, and then he continues. This is Romans 6. In light of all that, he says, well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And, and, and if you're asking that question this morning, it's because you're beginning to truly understand God's grace. A true understanding of God's grace begs this question. Really? If that's how it works, why wouldn't I just keep sinning? I'm that radically free. Why not sin? We're still in Christ even when we sin, we're, we're, we're still righteous, we're still standing continuously in, in the ongoing grace of the Father. If grace is that radical, why not sin? And, and I think uh, this is what scares us about grace, actually. This is what scares churches about grace. This is what scares church leaders about grace. Wait a second. Is, is it that radical? Is that how it works? Makes us a bit uneasy. It leads us to that question from Romans 6, and we don't know how to answer that question. So, so rather than pressing in a little deeper, we, we actually shrink back. That question intimidates us. We say, you know what? I, I think the solution to this is that we need a little bit of law. We, we, I, I need something. I feel a little uneasy out here in this uncharted territory. That would make me feel a little safer. We don't need all of the law, but can we, can we just have a little bit? Just to keep us on track. But Paul's looked deeper into it than you and I have. He, he's moved past that question. He's moved through that question. He lived a zealous life under the law. And, and then he encountered Jesus and was plunged into a radical grace apart from the law. Paul knows both extremes. 
He's lived in both worlds. And, and, and now he can say the gospel that bears fruit, the one that's spreading like wildfire across the earth, that's the gospel of grace. It, it's truly good news. It is, it is a beautiful announcement, not about what you should or shouldn't do, but about what's already been accomplished. It is an announcement of what is now true of you in Jesus. It, it is news, but it is powerful news. It is, it is life-imparting news. He said, oh, you, just, you truly understood God's grace. You received that message, and boom, something took root. Something began to bear fruit, a fruit you could never bear under the law. Something began to multiply out from you. It wasn't your striving. It wasn't your good deeds. It wasn't your performance under a moral code. You didn't bear fruit under the law. Not really. And you can see this in, in one of the analogies that Paul uses, which is the, the marriage analogy. Uh, if one aspect of grace is our experience as a spiritual orphan, uh, adopted into a family of grace, adopted by grace, if that's, if that's true of our experience with God, uh, then it's also true, it is an equally powerful reality uh, that, 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 uh, that, that there's a marriage relationship by grace that we have with God. And, and so we talk about Romans 5 and then Romans 6. Paul goes on in Romans 7, and, and he essentially says, hey, just as a reminder, uh, you were previously married to the law. You and the law were married. You were bound together. And, and it seemed fitting, and it seemed right, but you weren't bearing fruit. In fact, the law seemed good. That husband seemed good. And, and in a sense, Paul says, objectively, it is good. Uh, but but it, it came to you, that relationship between the two of you, it became an abusive one. Uh, the, the law came to you as an abusive husband. And you were stuck. You were bound in that relationship. And, and he would always critique you. He would always condemn you. He would never lift a finger to help you. All you would ever hear about is what you were doing wrong. You were always falling short. You were, you were always under condemnation. And, and then Jesus came along and he said, and I quote, the law will never pass away. It will always endure. It, it, it will always be alive. So Paul says, You're, you were married to the law, under the law's authority, struggling in an abusive relationship. The law never relents. It never lets up. It never helps you. And it will never die. So what's the solution? The solution was for you to die. It's the only way out. It's the only way out of, of the, that bound marriage that you had to the law. Till death do you part, and the law was never going to die. The only way you're released is if you die. Paul says, by the grace of God, you have. 
Romans 7. Your old self was put to death, done away with. You were crucified with Christ. And then, after that death of the old, you were brought to life again. You were, you were given new life. You were made a new creation, no longer bound to the law. Paul goes on in Romans 7. He says, you're freed up to be bound to another. That's Jesus. You, you died to the law. You were released from that marriage. You're now free to be bound to Jesus in a new marriage. And this is a stunning description of our relationship to him. Let me put it this way. As we're sitting here this morning, uh, some of you feel a bit of condemnation. Let's be honest. Some of us struggle a lot with feelings of condemnation. Uh, some of us a little bit with feelings of condemnation. I think I'm naturally, just the way I'm wired, much more on the high side uh, of just feeling sen sensitivity to condemnation. Uh, I allow that to get, get in the mix and in my relationship with Jesus. Uh, but many of us uh, may have this sense this morning uh, that, that you're not quite good enough, right? Like you're not quite good enough for God. Even as we stand, we worship, we think about Jesus, we imagine ourselves approaching the throne room. What, what gets stirred up within us? Well, for a lot of us, it's this feeling of inadequacy. I, I'm, just, I'm just not a very good Christian. I'm not good enough. I'm not moral enough. I don't pray enough. I don't read enough. I don't whatever enough. And so we feel we ought to. I ought to. I ought to pray more or give more or fast more or read the Bible more or whatever it is that comes to you. However that condemnation takes shape. Because if I were to do those things, this is unspoken, I think. If I were to do those things, I would be more acceptable to God. I, I, would, I would be more loved by God. I would be more welcomed in His presence. But I had such a bad week, devotionally. You know, I, I just haven't been giving like I, I haven't been whatever, like I ought to. We, we, we sense, oh, if I could do those things, we'd be on better terms. I, I would be more accepted. I'd be more loved. I mean, I, I just don't feel like a good Christian at the end of the day. I don't feel like, like I'm on good terms with God. But Paul says, it, you, you've got to see God's grace. You, you have to see it. You, you have to catch a glimpse of it. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're already in right standing with God. You do not have to earn your way in. You do not have to strive or accomplish anything to, to be accepted in that. He said, it is finished. It's done. All that striving, all that condemnation, all those feelings of, of, of inadequacy. And, and so... We, so we live this God-centered life, right? We pray, we give, we fast, we read, we repent, we seek, we pursue, we, we listen, we worship, not to gain right standing with God. You already have it. It's done. It's, it's, it's already yours. We don't do that to gain right standing with Him. 
but because we already have right standing. Everything we do is a response to God's grace. He says if you truly understand God's grace, everything else is going to start flowing out from there. We do those things to have greater intimacy with God. Not for greater standing with God. Again, you can think of marriage. Uh, my wife and I have been married seven years. And, and yeah, some of you have been married like 37 years. So I guess seven's, seven's a good start. Um, we've been married seven years. Uh, we, and, and on a daily basis, we, we love, we, we sacrifice, we serve one another. Every day we, we do those things. But you have to understand uh, I don't love and serve my wife in order to get her to marry me, right? She already has. It's done. We're already married. I, and, and I don't love my wife and, and serve her and spend time with her in order to avoid condemnation or to keep her from leaving me. She never will. Regardless of what I do as a husband, she won't do those. She won't. And, and so I have this, this security within our relationship. So, so I'm, I'm loving, I'm serving, I'm laying down my life, I'm sacrificing, but it's not to get her to marry me, and it's not to get her to stay with me, or even to avoid condemnation within the relationship. Rather, I, I know that I'm loved, I know that I'm secure. I know they'll always be married, and out of that, I respond. And, 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 and I love, and I serve, and, and we spend time. I'm, I'm not earning her love. I'm not securing our marriage. I, I'm already secure. I, I, I'm already loved. And, and so I don't do those things to, to avoid condemnation or, or to keep her from leaving me. I do those things to increase our joy, to increase our intimacy. We'll be married either way. We, we will either be married and distant, which will slowly breed sort of a loneliness and a bitterness and dysfunction. And oh, by the way, then, then in comes sin. Wide open door. Or we'll be married and close. This is our choice. This is how it is with Jesus. You're, you, can't, you can't get Jesus to marry you. He already has. You, you can't get him to love you. He already does. You, you don't have to be afraid of him leaving you. He never will. D divorce between G you and Jesus, it's a non-option. It, it cannot happen. So you're just choosing. Do, do I want to be uh, married and distant? Or, or do, I, do I want to have that intimacy, that joy, that closeness? Everything we're doing is in response to God's grace and because we want that intimacy with him you're going to be married either way so you can be one of those people who says oh yeah yeah i guess in a technical sense the bible says you know we're married but i don't i don't really know him i don't, I don't really sense him it's it's kind of a lonely distant relationship or you can say no 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 i i know jesus like i i have i have a joy i have that intimacy like we're there's, there's a closeness there. That, that's our choice. 
We're not earning anything. We're not, we're not trying to keep from, from being abandoned. You can't earn his love and affection. You can't convince him to marry. It's, it's done. It's already done. But notice that my understanding of the grace and love of God make me want to draw near to Him. Anyone here eager to draw near to an abusive husband? No. In fact, when you're in an abusive relationship, you don't want to be near your spouse. You don't want to be near anyone. You just trend toward isolation, toward despair. But the reverse is also true. If you know what's in your husband's heart, if you know that already in his heart is acceptance and love and forgiveness and generosity and favor, and you, if you know what's stored up in his heart for you, oh, I, I want to draw near. If I catch a, a glimpse of God's grace of the way he actually feels about me, I want to be in the presence of that. I want to draw near a husband who's like that, who, who has that in his heart. We're drawn in. Sadly, many of us were, were adopted by grace, but then we, we don't stand in the grace of our Heavenly Father. Sadly, many of us were, were freed from our old abusive husband. We, we were given new life, married to the new, but then we kind of look back across the street and think, oh, oh my gosh, I can see him. My, my old husband is over there across the street, and he's still alive. Like, oh, oh my gosh, what should, what, what should I do? He's right there. He's still alive. Should I, should I go back to him? No, 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 no. I can't, I can't go back to him. I have, a new, I have a new husband now. I can't go back to him. But what if he comes over here? What if he crosses the street? What if he comes over to where I live? What if, what if he starts telling uh, my new husband about all the ways that I failed? About all the ways I failed him in our previous marriage? What, what if my new husband hears all this critique and his eyes are open to who I truly am and he doesn't want me anymore? We have all these, these fears that rise up. And I don't, I don't want my new husband to hear that same critique and condemnation. So, so I better straighten up. Better straighten up and live right by the law so that my old husband won't come over here and condemn me. better tuck in my shirt and try and live right by the law. Paul says, no. If you truly understand God's grace, you'll, you'll live in it. You'll just want to live in that place. You want to be with him. And you'll live with your new husband. And your old husband can yell across the street as much as he wants, but it's over. You already died. Like it, it's done. There's no more authority. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
You're not bound to Him. You don't belong to Him. You belong to the new. You're free. It says you're free. You, you, you catch wind of that. You get rooted in that. You draw near to your new husband and you will bear fruit. He's full of life. He's a fruit-bearing God. He's a, just come to me, just draw near to your new life-giving husband and you will bear fruit, even if you don't intend to. You don't have to try. You don't have to strive. You just get near him. He's full of life. You'll get that life. He's full of grace. You'll be full of that grace. He, he, you, you'll just bear fruit by being near to your new husbands and things will start to come to life and, and the gospel will begin to multiply and spread and you realize this is actually really good news. This is worth sharing with other people. Do you see the connection? We don't go to our neighborhoods and, and to the nations announcing that we have a new law that's better than the old law. That's not the announcement. We aren't announcing a door of grace into a life of legalism. We're announcing a door of grace into a family marked by grace. You take this door into the grace in which you now stand. A family freed from the power of sin. Set free to be truly human as God intended. A place of security and firm footing in Christ before the Father. And when we truly understand God's grace, we draw near to our new husband. He says, you'll, you'll get full of life. That's all you have to do. Draw near to Jesus and you'll bear fruit, whether you want to or not. And we'll see the gospel continue to spread across the world to our neighborhoods and to the nations. And we'll see it bear fruit in every season, because this grace of God, the gospel of grace, is life imparting news. Let's pray.